0: Place as it already is, but over the Word, and Lord, that your presence uh, come in an awesome way. Because we know, Lord, it's by the Spirit of God that these things are accomplished. So help us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to get locked in and tuned into you, to be able to give you our best ear and our full attention and not be distracted, but our minds to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and what you're showing us. Lord, help us to have, as Jesus said, eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that you would touch our eyes and ears tonight, anoint them, that we can have spiritual vision and understanding. And, Lord, I pray that we'd have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds, and you'll speak through me, living seeds of truth, to be sown into that good, fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Or that there'll be the washing of the water, where there'll be light of truth shining forth and dispelling the darkness. And bring truth and revelation breakthrough tonight in Jesus' name, Lord. We thank you for it. We bind any distraction or hindrance, anything that would try to hinder the word of God. We bind it and commit to go in Jesus' name. For the Bible says that, the you know, the enemy like birds tries to steal the seed. But it's not going to happen. But we pray your word will go forth and accomplish everything that you want it to. And, Lord, I pray that there will be a, a real breakthrough tonight in people's lives. And that we will be not just hearers of the word, but doers that will put it into practice or put it in our hearts tonight to do that. We bless you, Lord, and thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So I'm on part three with the prayer and glory Holy Spirit series. OK, and in this one, I'm going to talk about the one new man, but I'm going to gradually get to that point. But I want to recap real quick. So, the first thing that I talked about and number one is this. If if we could really, many times all of us have done this. We've all heard sermons and we're there and then, you know, we we hear it and then we go home and it's kind of like, okay. But this information, I feel like if we can really assimilate this into our hearts, the information I'm talking about can be life-changing for all of us. And the first thing I want to say is that we're just passing through this life we've got to get that down in us there's something in these last days the bible talked about the book of james a warning about those that hoard wealth in the last days and how it would it would uh, be a judgment against them because instead of giving it to the kingdom for the harvest they were hoarding it and there's something about these latter days where satan is really working hard to got kind of work on Christians to get them to go to sleep spiritually, to be lukewarm, to be a little bit indifferent about the lost, to not really be praying like they need to be praying, and and they're focused too much on the here and now. People are too busy now, just to be honest. They're just too busy. They're too busy with life, and they don't have the time uh, that they need to make for God and His kingdom. And the Bible says to seek first the kingdom, so we need to make some adjustments in our own heart and minds. That we're going to make room for the Lord in our lives. And that's going to be our priority. And realize that we're only here for a short amount of time. Compared to eternity. I hope that we all can understand. Compared to eternity. Your lifespan and my lifespan is just like a little drop of water in the ocean. We're only here for a very short amount of time. When you look at it from eternity. And we've only got one life to live. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get all entangled. Um, I remember one time hearing this story. This missionary was saying that, that a young man fell into it. He was working out in these jungles. But he said this young man fell into a whirlpool. And there was these trees, like willow trees or something. But they, because of the violent storm, their, their uh, branches were down in the water. And it was swirling, I mean just a circular thing. And this, this young man was drowning. And he dove in to save him, but he said what was kind of scary was was when he would swing around, he said those branches on that tree would wrap around his arms and legs. So he had to break all those branches off of him, get a breath of air to go back after the boy. What I'm saying is, is that sometimes people don't mean to, but because of all the swirl of activity going on, Satan is trying to entangle and kind of wrap people up with the, thing, the cares of this world. And so really pray that God give us all the grace to not get too sunk down into this world. And remember those words that Steve Hill gave in that prophecy during Brownsville. He said, God's coming for a pilgrim people. Keep your head up, your eyes upward, and your feet moving forward. Don't let your feet get sunk down too deep into the soil of this world. Okay? so that was the first thing I talked about the second thing I talked about is that we and this was last week we are living tabernacles and so we're supposed to be carriers of God's presence in reality we need to be looking at Enoch as an example Enoch walked with God even though we're going to be going through our daily routine we can still be a people that walk with him in his presence conscious of him and understand the spirit of God lives in us and he's with us and we can live our lives like Enoch, walking with God. And God's wanting us to be living tabernacles. And another thing I talked about was in that, in, in last week I talked about cleansing your home. And I've also talked about the power of the communion table. But when you start in your home, you begin to take communion and you invite the glory, the Spirit of God will come, and He'll bring the glory of the Lord in your home. You begin to speak blessings. What's going to happen is you begin to bring the communion table in your home is that things God will begin to surface things that need to be dealt with in love. He's not mad. He's just trying to help you. It's like the gold refined in the fire. When you put gold in the fire, it melts, and then all the impurities start coming up to the top, and you've got to skim them off. And so the Holy Spirit, as you begin to take communion in your home and you welcome the glory, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is going to begin to surface things that you and I, all of us need to deal with so that we can have his presence abide, okay? And I talked about this in Jewish writings. It says that regarding the manna, you remember people grumbled and complained about the manna. But in Jewish writings, I found this really interesting because manna is a picture and type of the communion table now that they said that God used the manna to test the people. And that people that were wicked people, the manna was very bland to them. It didn't have any sweet taste. It was just like a saltine cracker or something, you know. And that's how it was. But to people that were really righteous and really loved God, those people, the uh, the manna was sweet. And it was something that was enjoyable. And they said that also... That the manna tested people because the manna would fall in a way that made it obvious who was right with God and who wasn't. And so my point is this. The manna was a picture and type of that communion table. But when we start bringing communion into our lives, God begins a testing. And I believe that the people that were grumbling against the manna were not just grumbling about the fact that they had to eat the same thing every day. That was probably part of it. But they were probably grumbling about the fact that God was testing them and they didn't like the testing. And if their attitude in their heart would have been this, Lord, I realize that maybe I'm not pleasing in certain areas. Help me to become pleasing in those areas. If they had had a humble, sweet spirit about them, then they would have been transformed, you know. But instead, they begin to grumble against God. And I don't know about you, but I really enjoy the fact that God loves me so much that He would show me when something doesn't please Him. And I appreciate that. And I embrace that. And I pray about that. And I don't want to be somebody that's lifted up with pride and, and it's difficult for God to deal with me, that I resist the Holy Spirit. And all that. I want to be somebody that's humble and welcomes the correction of the Lord. Okay? All right. So with that said, now I'm going into part three. And in this, I want to deal with effective prayer. And then I'm going to talk about the one new man. And then I want to close it out by dealing with some spiritual warfare. All right. I think that by and large, River of Life, I've taught enough on prayer that you know about prayer. And there is a series I did in our sermon download on prayer. So those that want to learn how to go deeper in prayer, you could go to the sermon download page or whatever, and you can look up that series. But what I would say is this. Hebrews 4, 6 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the Lord is wanting us to approach him. And there's a confidence, but it's not a confidence in yourself and in your own works, but it's a confidence in what? The blood. The blood. That the blood has made us holy and covers us. And we can come boldly before the throne of grace because the blood of Jesus has washed us and covers us. It's not out of our own righteousness. It's not out of our own works. We can never go before God and say, look how righteous I am and how good I am. That's not the way that we approach him. But we approach him saying, Lord, I thank you that I am washed in the blood of Jesus. My life is made holy because of the blood of Jesus. My sins are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. And because of his blood, I can come with confidence into your presence and pray. In Hebrews nine twelve, he did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves. Just talking about Jesus, obviously, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So it's, there's an entering by the blood, and I've taught enough on that, I think people know. But the first thing I would say to have a really effective, powerful prayer life is to spend some time at the beginning examining yourself and getting washed and covered in the blood. If you want to take communion, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I do, and it's an option that you definitely have. But regardless, that we take time to confess any sin, make sure we've forgiven anybody, And really get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus. Because it's by that blood that the presence of God will come. And you'll be able to fellowship. Picture, if you will, the priest had to go into the Holy of Holies. And he had to shed blood outside for himself. And he would go in and have a bowl of blood. And he would go into the Holy of Holies. And he had to take his finger and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat of the ark. And that blood sprinkled there... And the glory of the Lord came. And then he had fellowship there and he could pray, but it was by the blood. Okay? So it is the blood that brought that glory. And it is the blood that allowed that priest to have fellowship. All right. So number one is entering that way. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, the first thing you pray is our Father. We are children of God by the blood. All right. All right. The second thing Jesus taught was, hallowed be your name. So when the priest would go into the tabernacle daily, there had to be a shedding of blood. But then what did he do? He began to sprinkle that incense. And that incense would burn and it would fill that place as he worshipped and prayed. The incense was made of four parts, but it represents praise and worship, prayer and intercession. And so what you got to understand, when we come together as a church, and we come together through the blood... We're following a pattern that goes all the way through Scripture. We're examining ourselves and getting washed and covered in the blood, but then what? We begin to praise, we begin to worship, we begin to pray, we begin to intercede, and that incense of that praise and worship, prayer and intercession goes right up into God's throne, and it's pleasing unto Him. And the book of Revelation says that John saw that there were angels that were bringing these golden bowls before God's throne, and it had incense in it. And it says it was the prayers of the saints. And so for you and I to have an effective prayer life, first off, we come through the blood, but then we begin to enter into some praise and worship. You notice that it's in this place when we begin to praise and worship that the presence of God begins to move. Amen? And there's prayer, it moves into prayer and intercession. So that's also what we've got to learn is that the blood, then the praise and worship, then the prayer and intercession, that we begin to move into that by the Spirit of God, that we can begin to really pray for our loved ones, pray for our nation, pray for um, those that are in need. Let me tell you, if you'll come that way through the blood, praise and worship, the presence of God comes, the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with you and help you to pray effectively how you need to pray. And that's when you begin to move in tongues. You begin to pray in the Spirit. You begin to pray things God's laying on your heart. And the Holy Spirit comes, and that's like the lampstand. He begins to light up that place with his revelation. And it's the Holy Spirit now, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that you're communing now. So is all this making sense? You're moving beyond your flesh, the outer court, even beyond your human soul area, your mind, your human emotions. You're even getting beyond that. And now you're spirit to spirit. The Holy Spirit has come, and now you're in the Spirit, and you're moving with the Holy Spirit in prayer. So, coming through the blood, praise and worship, prayer and intercession, and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes and there's this fellowship with Him, the Lord will begin to move you into the realm of His glory where you can just soak in His glory and there's an intimacy with the Father. Many times in prayer, just there soaking in God's presence, talking quietly and listening to Him, that's where great revelation and powerful things happen in my life. This is a pattern for effective prayer. Does everybody got this? Let me say it one more time. We come through the blood, praise and worship, and the glory begins to come. Then there's prayer and intercession, the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And then we get into God's presence, the glory, where we soak and we're intimate with the Lord. This is a powerful, effective prayer life. And it's interesting how God has laid on my heart to have our church services kind of flow in that same type of pattern. I've always felt led to do that. But we've always taken time to come through the blood. And then there's praise and worship, prayer and intercession, and the glory comes and people receive. It's really powerful. Alright, so the next thing I want to cover is the Tabernacle of David. Acts 15, verse 12. Now the Gentiles had been getting saved through Peter's ministry. Remember that? And then Paul and Barnabas began to see a lot of Gentiles saved. And... The Jewish leaders in Israel were trying to figure out what to do because they realized that God was moving among the Gentiles. And I mean, you can't deny this. Peter told them flat out, say, guys, look. I mean, this, the Holy Spirit fell on these guys at Cornelius' house, all of them the same way he fell on us at Pentecost. So there's no denying here that the Holy Spirit is moving the same among the Gentiles. And so they, they begin to talk about how to handle this and all these Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were talking, and and this is what verse twelve in context says: All the people kept silent. They began to listen to Barnabas and Paul as They were relating the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And when they had stopped speaking, James answered and said, "Brethren, listen to me." And this is James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, who used to not believe. You remember how Jesus' brothers used to mock him, and now he's a great leader. Imagine if uh, your brother raised from the dead and came and talked to you. All of a sudden you might, uh, you know, believe, right? So James is there and he says, brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God um, first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he quotes the scriptures. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who make these things known from long ago therefore it is my judgment that we we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols to stay away from idolatry the occult the worship of other gods okay from fornication or sexual immorality of any kind, and also from what is strangled and from blood, not to eat blood. But Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. And then it goes on to say in Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing in his flesh. Jesus, when he died on the cross, there was an abolishing in his flesh which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two talking about Jew and Gentile one new man thus establishing peace alright so let's go through this for a second out of Shiloh that's where the tabernacle was last that we know of was in a place called Shiloh David who lived at a time When Saul, remember Saul's reign, and it was a negative thing, but David was next, but then his son Solomon was the one that God told him that your son Solomon will be the one to build the temple. And so David had amassed great wealth to pass on to his son Solomon so that he could build the temple, but David felt like he was living in limbo. He knew that the tabernacle was in Shiloh, And under Saul's administration, that was where um, God primarily was functioning, was through that tabernacle. And David knew that when Solomon came, there was going to be a temple, but David was kind of in limbo. And so David had such a heart for God's presence, he didn't want the ark to remain in Shiloh. So you remember the story. He went and got some uh, Levites. They went down there. They got the ark out of the tabernacle, and they brought it into Jerusalem. So picture now. The ark has been moved out of the tabernacle. And the ark has been carried on the shoulder of Levites and brought to Jerusalem and set there. And David builds a tent around it. And now David begins to administer these Levites to have praise and worship, prayer and intercession around the clock, around that ark. And this was called the Tabernacle of David. But David, if you remember correctly, David had to have the help of a Gentile by the name of Obed-Edom to host the glory for a time to help him along his journey. So you see that both Jew and Gentile together had a hand in this. And then in Solomon's day, Solomon had the wealth and he had some people that could help him with the temple that were Jewish, but he leaned on a friend of his father by the name of Hiram that enabled them to be able to do a lot of the things that the jewish people were not necessarily good at as far as with the wood and with the stone cutting and all that so both jew and gentile worked together to build the tabernacle or build the temple and so from the beginning when god spoke to abraham he told abraham he said i'll bless you and make you a great nation but you will be a blessing to all nations so from the very beginning god's heart was that through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. And God is wanting that both Jew and Gentile be brought together in these latter times and help rebuild the fallen tent, the fallen tabernacle of David in the earth. And what that is, is that Jew and Gentile are coming together in praise and worship, prayer and intercession in the glory. And there's an incredible anointing in these latter days, in the incredible glory of the Lord. In Zechariah 4.11, Then I said to him who was speaking with me, What are these two olive trees on the right side of the lampstand and on its left? And a second time I said to him, What are these two olive branches which are beside the golden pipes by which the golden oil is emptied? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two sons of fresh oil. Joshua, the high priest, the prince of Judah, who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth, his anointed ones. And I believe that metaphorically speaking, this is talking about Jew and Gentile pouring into the lampstand. And we know that the book of Revelation shows the lampstand being the church. You know, let me give you an example. Down through history, I don't know of one place or one time where like a Messianic Jewish group or something like that saw a great revival. It seems like all these historic revivals have always been among the Gentiles. But yet, there is something that's been invested in Israel that goes back and and Paul said that it's without repentance. It's something that's irrevocable. And I believe that one of the things that's been invested in Israel that can be imparted, if you will, to others is that of blessings. When you bless Israel, there's a blessing that comes. There's something that God has invested among the Jewish people that has to do with blessings. And also a glory realm. Many people say that when they go to Jerusalem, they sense the glory of the Lord there. There's just some kind of a glory realm that's been deposited. And when you properly understand somebody that has wisdom and they can discern that God is not finished completely with Israel, but there's something that's been invested there, and you can get both from that realm and from the Gentile realm pouring in both sides of the lampstand, I believe that there can be a tremendous anointing in a very thick glory realm. Is this making sense? And the Lord is wanting that that division that's been there for so long to be pulled down and there to be unity, that we become one in Him. So one of the things I wanted to share, I have felt personally that in regards to some of these things, God had laid on my heart years ago to connect more with some of the Hebrew roots and learn more about it. And as I began to connect, I had a dream, actually, the Lord gave me about that. And I went to um, this Messianic ministry, and there was this uh, Christian rabbi that ministers there. <clears throat> I remember feeling such an impartation of the Lord come upon me, such an anointing. And I knew that something that had been invested there from the Lord was being imparted to me. And there's something in the way of blessings and something in the way of God's glory that began to move in that wasn't there before. And people of wisdom can tap into these things, okay? All right, here's another thing I wanted to share. Financially. I kind of shared this. I want people to have rich, powerful prayer lives. I want people to understand that when you bless Israel and when you connect to those to that realm there, that there's blessings and there's a glory realm that will begin to come into your life. But also I feel it's very important that people financially connect to God's supernatural economy. But God's going to have to help some people because some people still have a lot of fear and they still struggle with a poverty mentality. And they haven't really understood the scriptures yet concerning being a generous, cheerful giver and living by faith financially. There's still a fear there. There's still a mentality of lack. But if people will break through that, And get free from those old strongholds. God is wanting us to come into prosperity. But listen, in these latter days, there's going to be a lot of shifting sands, okay? Economically among the nations. And how many of you guys knows that we need to make sure that our economy is not connected just to this world. But our economy's got to be connected to heaven's economy. So regardless of what's going on in the world, our economy is locked into heaven's provision. And it's not going to affect us. Let's almost share something with you. In Luke 7, verse 2, there was a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they came to Jesus, the Jewish leaders, they earnestly implored Jesus, saying, He's worthy for you to grant this for him, for he loves our nation. And it was he who built us a synagogue. Is anybody reading this and following this with me? So as this man had been a blessing to the nation of Israel, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, he's worthy to receive this miracle and this answer prayer because he's been a blessing to our nation. And of course, we know the story that Jesus did heal him. So three of the things that Scripture bears out, and i preached on this before, but obviously faithful tithing, God will rebuke the devourer. And that's always been a tremendous blessing in my life and my wife's life, that we have always been tithers. But the other one is when you bless Israel and the poor. And we've always done that. You know, my wife will give, um, you know, we come together and give above our tithe to bless Israel and the poor, and I know other people are doing that. But when you do that, there's blessings. What you gotta understand is, is that you're doing basically what this scripture said. Those people came to Jesus, said, Jesus, listen, He loves our nation and He's blessed our people. And then Jesus releases miracles. What I'm saying is, is when we practically begin to love Israel and bless Israel, there's a blessing that comes back on us. And I want my economics, okay, in life, my economy, to be linked into heaven's economy. And when you bless the poor, you're counted among the blessed of the land. There's a blessing. And I believe when you're blessing Israel, you're not just going to reap a blessing that's financial alone. But there's blessings that will come on your health. There's blessings that will come on your relationships in life. There's blessings that will come on your property and what you own. There's blessings that will come on the works of your hands. As you labor in your workplace, there'll be a favor but this is, this is tremendous blessings that will affect your entire life. And so I encourage people to please do this through the church because it helps the church to be able to do a lot as well. We join with you. We partner with you. But to bless Israel and the poor above your tithe, let God lay on your heart what to do. But as you do this, I promise you, it's going to be the same as this scripture. When you're in need one day for something, okay? Okay. Jesus is going to see that you've loved Israel and that you've blessed Israel. And there's going to be a lot of blessings that come back your direction. Okay. All right. And I want to close this out because I kind of feel this even right now as I'm trying to talk. But some of the spiritual battles that's going on. So for us to be powerful and effective, guys, in this region we live, we're going to have to understand that we're just passing through this life. Don't get caught up in this world. We're going to have to carry God's presence and we're going to have to have a rich, powerful prayer line. We're going to be a part of the one new man where Jew and Gentile are coming together to rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David, praise and worship, prayer and intercession. And we understand what God's invested in Israel and that there's going to be both Jew and Gentile pouring into the lampstand so we can see the fullness of the anointing and the glory. And we're also going to financially connect our economies into the kingdom of God by being tithers and by giving to bless Israel and the poor. Amen? All right. So now here's the spiritual warfare. See, so I don't think that people, and I want everybody to give me your best ear, okay? Because I can sense that there's something that is not happy with this right now as I'm trying to talk. But I don't think that... Anybody in this room, and I say this respectfully, but I don't think any of us really fully understand the level of what I'm about to say. But in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, it was prophesied that there would be a great awakening sweep our nation. All of America blazing in the fires, and we know that that's a true prophecy because most of it's already been fulfilled. It started in Pensacola and moved onward. But the end of the prophecy was that Dallas would be the hub of the revival. Are y'all hearing me? Okay, how many knows that the devil has already heard this prophecy by now? Okay. So all of America blazed in the fires of revival, Dallas being the hub. And this revival is not just going to affect America. This revival is going to affect the world because people are going to be sent from America all over the earth in the fires of revival. Ruth Ward Heflin says she saw it. She saw America blaze in the fires of revival. She saw there was tremendous healings and miracles. And she saw when it was fully ignited, Dallas had been that hub. And also there's been some credible people that felt that Dallas would be like the Jerusalem of the West. And so what I'm trying to get to is this. I have felt for the last while that Dallas has been a serious battleground. I've had people that I know and love that have been through a lot. And Satan has somehow positioned princes and powers and spiritual resistance to try to stop this move of God. And it's been very centered on Dallas because of that prophecy about Dallas being the hub. And I've known people that I deeply love and respected that have died of cancer just here recently. Um, A dear friend that we love deeply in Fort Worth, a very powerful man of God, just died. A few years back, another pastor is a powerful man of prayer, Um, Kevin Peterson died of cancer. I've known of churches after church after church after church that has gone through. We've got little Jezebels in their churches. Uh, Different things where it's just, you know, a lot of trouble. And there's been a tremendous amount of spiritual warfare because Satan does not want this to break forth in our nation and in this region. Y'all hearing me? And so... Here's some spiritual forces, but here's what I've seen over the last several years in this region. People have either left this area because it was too hard. Or they've been conformed to this area. They've become just like everybody else. And even though they, it's a good ministry, it's not. It's just a shell of what it could, could be. Y'all hear me? It's just a shell of what it could be. Or they were destroyed in this area. Either they physically died or their ministry was destroyed, their church was destroyed. When I mean destroyed, I mean it doesn't exist anymore. The The church is gone. But very few have prevailed in this region, have pressed through to be able to keep the fires of revival and stay strong in the Lord and be able to keep the momentum going and not conform to the religious spirit of this area, but keep the fires burning bright. Okay, and continue to move forward. Very few have prevailed, and the question is: Are we going to be good soldiers? In Acts sixteen sixteen, and this is why I close with. It, it says that there was Paul and uh, Barnabas. I believe we're going to a place of prayer, but a slave girl having a spirit of divination, which they, in Greek it's a Python spirit. It says Pythos. Met us who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us. She kept crying out saying these men are bond servants of the most high God. Who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So she was giving a true prophecy. Would anybody argue that that's not true? Right. This is a true word. But it was from a counterfeit spirit. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment so I'm about to expose just briefly as I close this something that I feel like people need to remember this if we're going to be effective in this region okay there's a cluster of spirits that's been at work and I'm talking about principalities and powers I'm not talking about little imp demons that run around and get on people's nerves I'm talking about princes and powers and wickedness in the heavenlies that are trying to kill physically kill preachers I'm not trying to scare anybody trying to destroy churches where they don't exist anymore, just trying to wipe out anything that has to do with revival. And this is a serious battleground. I've known people that were mighty men and women of God that have been really damaged, okay? Um, Number one is Leviathan. This is a prideful spirit. Leviathan is a spirit of pride, but it targets the glory. Remember that Lucifer was once in the glory, but was lifted up with pride. Leviathan is seen in the Bible as a huge, multi-headed dragon. And people that have confronted Leviathan have felt that they would cut off one head just to have ten more hit them. And that the tail of that thing would sweep through their church and just decimate lives. This is a very high-ranking, very powerful spirit. And the only way to really defeat Leviathan is to really humble yourself before the Lord. And really repent of any pride, any self-righteousness, any judging others, things like that. Jezebel's witchcraft is unbelievable in this region. Unbelievable. Steve Hill was basically raised from the dead, so to speak, before he went on to be with the Lord and wrote a book. What was it called again? Spiritual Avalanche? Okay. I recommend you get it and read it. But in that book, and I quote, he said, Judas's... And Jezebel's are rampant everywhere. Now he was in this region when he said that. Jezebel's witchcraft is unbelievably strong. And it has tried to worm its way into churches and destroy them. They are so disrespectful and dishonoring toward pastors and leaders. Um, They don't want to submit to authority. They truly feel they're spiritual, but they're not. And it's very demonic and very evil. And you can't tolerate it at all. And this has been very strong. And I think you guys know enough about that spirit. Where I can move on to the next one. But there cannot be any toleration. If you tolerate it at all, it can bring a tremendous amount of destruction. Another one is religion. The religious spirit has been really something in this region. And this has to do, a religious spirit has to do with causing people to be lukewarm, causing people to be apathetic toward the things of God. They're comfortable out of church. They're not really hungry for God. They're just spiritually dead. Oh, they say they're Christians, but they're dead. Also, a religious spirit is very critical and judging toward others, and it wants to debate and fight and argue. But it has to do with the yeast of the Pharisees. I've preached on that. But see, here's something about a religious spirit i will put out there. Pet doctrines that are in denominational circles and even non-denominational circles, okay? But pet doctrines are things that people believe are true, but they're not true. But they pass from spiritual parents to children, and it goes down those denominational bloodlines, if you will. It is a strong religious spirit, and it keeps them in bondage. And there's many examples I could give, but probably some of the worst being that they believe that tongues and the and you know the move of god and healings and all that was done away with and this passes down from parent to child down these denominational lines it's a religious spirit that's trafficking there and keeping them in bondage and there's many other examples i could give with those groups that don't believe christians can need deliverance which is just dumb i mean it but they really believe that and and they will they will die for that belief i mean you're not going to sway them and i could go on and on but there's so many examples of that and also the last one i want to mention is python python is this spirit here in act sixteen sixteen, and it's called in the bible here a spirit of divination But John Paul Jackson wrote a book on unmasking the Jezebel spirit, which is really good. I recommend people read that as well. But he said that Jezebels have a soulish prophecy where it's out of the soul. It's out of the mind and the emotions, and it's false prophecy. It's not real. And it may be accurate information, but it's even from a false spirit. And the way that a python spirit will work, it will bring counterfeit revelation. And if you tolerate that counterfeit revelation in your ministry, because see, Paul, that spirit tried to wrap around Paul. It was following him, saying, hey, everybody, this guy is a servant of the Most High God, telling you how to be saved. But how many people nowadays would have the discernment to know that that was a witch and not a Christian? But Paul turned around and said, no, I bind that spirit out in Jesus' name, cast it out. He discerned that that was not the Lord, even though the information was true. Python, if it can bring counterfeit revelation into a ministry, and it's tolerated, it will begin to wrap around that entire ministry like a python snake and begin to squeeze the very life out of it. And pastors cannot put up with it. You cannot allow these Jezebel false prophet spirit type people coming in as a counterfeit thing, um, releasing that into the altar ministry, into the people. You can't do it. It'll kill the ministry. Hello? And when Python comes in, it brings death and it brings infirmity in. People that have battled Python, and it's very strong. Let me say, this stuff I'm dealing with is not like these little bitty spirits that run around in churches somewhere here and there just trying to cause problems. You know, like little sister gossip over there. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the realm of princes and powers that are bent on the destruction of God's people in a geographic region. So I'm just trying to wrap our minds around here, the level of what I'm talking about. When I'm dealing with Python and and Jezebel and Leviathan and these other spirits, I'm talking about wickedness in the heavenlies That's at work in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex on a widespread scale among all the different churches trying to destroy them. Okay. All right. And it's trying to bring confinement and suppression. Confinement being that those that are really going to be a threat to the devil is trying to keep them from being effective for the Lord. It's trying to squeeze their finances. It's trying to squeeze other areas of their life and trying to hinder them from breaking out into everything that God has. But those that are not a threat, they don't care. Just let them go. It has to do with confinement and containment. And a couple things.